The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to uh, the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And one of our favorite guests, Paul Mitchell of Redistricting Partners and Political Data. Hey, guys. And uh, numbers cruncher extraordinaire. Paul, thanks for stopping by. Happy to do it. Oh, there are all kinds of questions I wanted to ask you about the, uh, uh, about the story that we ran yesterday, your story, on the early mail-in vote. Five, over 5 million ballots have been cast already. Uh, there's some amazing little factoids in the numbers that you've looked at. One of them, I guess the first obvious question, this early vote... How is it similar or dissimilar to earlier earlier votes? Well, it's it's first off some breaking news. We're at six million now, so I uh, I provided you with a story that I knew was going to be out of date pretty quickly. Um, but the uh, it there's a few ways you can look at this data and uh, kind of compare it back to prior election cycles and really find some interesting uh, differences. So first off. When we first started getting the data in, the, the most noticeable thing was just how fast it came in. Um, usually, ballots go out uh, that 29 days before the election. And yeah, a couple counties like Solano, maybe San Francisco one year, will mail out their ballots like a week early or something. And that can mess with the numbers a little bit in one county. But for the most part, the ballots go out 29 days before. And that first week of ballots arriving at voters' households, we see almost no returns. So in that first week in 2018, we saw 8,000 returns by that first Friday. And in 2016, we saw 13,000 returns by that first Friday. So that first week is usually thought of as, hey, ballots are going out. Voters are putting them on their kitchen table. That first weekend is when we start to see voters really turning in their ballots. And that, uh, that second week of voting is when we start to see just floods of ballots come in, you know, hundreds of thousands of ballots every day. And that's essentially when the when we'll start launching the tracker. And, you know, people start really kind of ingesting this data and trying to figure out what it means. And it's also when campaigns start like removing these voters from their mailing universes and all that activity starts. This cycle, it was Thursday and we had 113,000. And internally, we were like, wow, that's crazy. What happened? Um, we were even like double checking that we didn't do something wrong. And then by Friday, it was a quarter million. And so we had a 20-fold increase in voting early of that. People had voted. They didn't wait for the weekend. Like they were voting immediately. And um, so that was radically different than what we'd seen in the past. Then what, we started on a, looking on a call at in past elections and a, a per-daily uh, a, a, the incoming, the daily incoming on these mail-in ballots, they normally would run, I don't know, 20,000, 10, 15, not 100 or 250, but... Yeah, I mean, that first week, it's, you know, one county will report 100 ballots. You know, it's honestly that first week, it's mostly the military ballots that had been mailed out a lot earlier. Those come in. People who are living abroad and get mail-in ballots earlier, those come in really super early sometimes. Um, and yeah, that first week, you just don't see as much. And that second week is when you start to see 300,000 a day, 200, 400,000 a day, that kind of big numbers, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't think we've ever seen a million in a day. And I think we're going to see that one of these days here. Um, 
So uh, first it was like, oh my God, the raw numbers are so huge. That's crazy. Then we started to look at the partisan breakdown of the ballots that came in. And that was really surprising too, because traditionally when you get the first early ballots, it's, we used to joke that it was people who knew where their stamps were. Older, whiter, homeowners, more stable voters, more reliable, regular voters, voters who'd gotten into a habit of always voting early because there's so many habitual aspects to voting behavior. And with all those things, if you have a trained political ear and you hear Paul talking about homeowners and suburban voters and white voters and older voters, that relates to more Republican, more conservative. And as we know, later voters are all the college students and renters and lower income and and urban areas. Those are the t- later voters usually are in those areas predominantly. So the first thing we saw was Democrats were overperforming. And that was that stood out as something we'd never seen before. Uh, Democrats were at the very initial like 60 percent of the returns and Republicans were like 21 percent of the returns. And traditionally, it's almost traditionally Democrats are usually right at about their registration rate in the returns and Republicans usually 10 points over. So if they were 24% of the electorate, they should be 34% of the returns that had come in early. And that partisan advantage that Republicans have from being more present in those early votes had just like disappeared. And as I put in the article, it was essentially a 20 point shift towards Democrats where instead of, uh, you know, Democrats being at 44 and uh, Republicans being at 30 something uh, or Democrats being at 48 and Republicans being at 34 or something like that. Now it's like Democrats even today are still at 56 and Republicans are at 21 or something, you know. So it's a huge shift partisan wise. Now, Jim, uh, John, you had a question after that. Yeah, actually, that's what I wanted to talk about. I saw this thus far in the returns, Democrats, 56 percent but they're only 44, 45% of registration, like you just said. My question, though, was on the Republicans, you had suggested they might be holding back because Republicans are more prone to want to vote on the day of uh, day of the election or later in the election. You think that, are you seeing that now in the last couple of days since you had these numbers? Or is that still a trend you're seeing, that they're holding back until election day? Yeah, so, you know, we don't get to, when when the early votes are dominated by this population. Um, the obvious question is, why aren't Republicans turning out the same accelerated rate? Um, and we can look to polling for that, both the Capitol Weekly polling that showed 57% of Republicans saying they wanted to vote on uh, in person. We saw some really funny stuff, actually, when we dug deeper into the Capitol Weekly polling. We found 11% of Republicans saying that they'd never voted by mail even though we saw that they had voted by mail. And there was like 1% of Democrats saying, oh, I never vote by mail, even though we had prior vote by mail history. But 11% of Republicans, meaning that 11% of Republicans have basically heard like voting by mail is rigged. Nobody would want to vote by mail. And so they're now actually saying in polling like, oh, no, me? No, never. I never vote by mail. Um, And we saw huge numbers of Republicans in the polling saying that they're going to vote in person. Um, And that is something that we've talked to other private pollsters. They're seeing the same kind of thing. There's this partisan divide. And it's it's weird because, you know, that we know that in our culture, 
there's so much like virtue signaling, right? Remember uh, Dana Rohrbacher and Matt Harper, the, the, the assemblyman, assemblyman, down in Orange County the late days of the 2018 election. What were they doing? They were sitting outside. They were Instagramming pictures of themselves sitting outside and in and out using straws. Like Republicans use straws, right? Um, and so like last election cycle, straws were polarized by party. And there was virtue signaling if you were seen, you know, eating in and out and drinking, a, using a straw. This election cycle, the virtue signaling is, um, you know, all my progressive liberal friends uh, putting Instagram pictures of themselves at, at drop boxes and mailing in their ballots. And Republicans, I expect when it comes towards election day, are going to be doing the opposite in virtue signaling, like, look at me, I vote in person because, you know, I don't trust vote by mail. And it's only on the margins, really. I mean, maybe it's only... 15% of these Democratic voters who are voting way early and super amped and, and doing that. Maybe it's only 15% of Republican voters who are, you know, throwing away their absentee ballot because it's a rigged election and, and uh, saying they're going to go down and vote in person. But it's enough to change these numbers to the point where, you know, uh, in the early wave, we're seeing this big Democratic turnout and... Um, you know, the we're waiting for the Republicans to vote late. The other population, by the way, that we're waiting for to vote late, ironically, is probably a, a population that wouldn't agree on much of anything. Uh, and that's uh, a lot of Latinas. Uh, a lot of survey work and research work shows that um, Latinos, and more specifically Latinas, and even more particularly older Latinas, um, it's hard to convince them that putting their ballot in the mail is as effective as voting in person. There's a lot of voters in focus groups and in polling that we've seen who, you know, you can give them every great reason why they should vote by mail. And they say, those are all great reasons, but I'm still voting in person. So, Paul, I have a question. So we're seeing early voters numbers across the country are exploding. And of course, you know, I might, my friends that are on the left are very excited and they, they believe that that shows a real enthusiasm for voting for Biden or voting against Trump. I'm a little more skeptical in that I wonder how much of this is driven by the pandemic. I'm thinking about myself, I vote by mail, but what I've done every time for the last probably 16 years, I get my, my ballot, I fill my ballot out, and then I go to my polling place and I drop my mail ballot at the voting place, at the polling place every year. Now, this is the first year that I can ever remember getting my mail-in ballot and actually mailing it in. And it's because I don't want to go to a polling place. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to be anywhere near people. And I'm wondering how much of this might be driven by concern about the pandemic versus uh, voter enthusiasm regarding the election. Do you have any kind of sense of that from your poll questions or from just uh, other anecdotal data? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that what we're getting into is kind of like a psychological diving into the electorate. Um, what I would suggest, though, is that um, a, it's hard as an individual to essentially bifurcate the part of you that's saying, I don't want to go to a polling place. That doesn't sound like fun. I'm going to vote by mail because that seems healthier for my my, you know, me and my family or whatever, bifurcating that from kind of the fact that maybe people in your 
social circle, maybe your friends, everybody around you is expressing this value that that people like us, you know, guys who go collect rare records at flea markets like yourself, uh, we we are really trying to be responsible. And so the thing that we're trying to do is show that we're um, voting by mail and we're voting early and we're not going to go to a polling place. And then there's other people who are saying, look, our economy is in the tank. All these businesses are closing. We shouldn't have this, these, this, these policies. And so I'm going to show that my, I'm going to use my feet and walk to the polling place to show that I'm going to vote in person because I'm expressing a value of like, I want this whole thing to be over. And you have the prior group is more of a left-leaning blue team and the latter group is more of a right-leaning red team and we saw this in the 25th congressional district race where uh, that was a race the primary was during uh, the actual primary the the runoff was in May so at the height of the stay-at-home orders they were having an election in that 25th congressional district and the election day day of vote in the primary was Dem plus eight. The day mm-hmm. of vote in the runoff was REIT plus 25. And wow. you had this, you had on the, the election day vote, uh, Garcia beat, uh, the, the Republican beat the Democrat by a four to one margin among people who voted at those vote centers on, uh, on election day. And so, you know, I think that in our culture, it's hard to separate whether or not those people uh, were voting at the polls because they just were more comfortable with it or whether they were actually doing it as a political statement, as a virtue signaling that they don't believe in the lockdown, so we're going to go vote in the polls. And Democrats were virtue signaling, we are going to vote by mail because it's safer and it's what our, our, our group, our social circle, our friends are doing. So I really do think that it's it's – it's really interesting that there's these camps that developed and that, you know, we've gotten used to like, well, Democrats use Lyft and Republicans go to Chick-fil-A. Um, but I've never thought that we would have a situation where um, there would be this political polarization around the way that you return your ballot, especially given that Republicans have always been better at returning ballots early in the past. And it's just flipped because like, you know, if you're, mailing in your ballot, then you must support masks. It's like weird. To point this out, Trump himself has been a mail-in voter for probably decades, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's and millions of Californians have mailed in ballots for a long time. And there are still a lot of ballots coming in from Republicans, obviously. I mean, it's just that their share of the early vote isn't commensurate with the share of early vote from, coming from Democrats. It's really lopsided in a way that um, is striking. Hey, Paul, I think some of the most amazing numbers that you were crunching uh, are the disparity, the disparities between registration and and how many ballots are actually being cost, uh, cast. For example, seniors, 22 percent of the population and they've they're they're running at about 38 percent of the early mail in vote, which is amazing. They're punching way above their weight. Uh, 18 to 34 year olds, they represent about 30 percent of the population and about 17% of the early mail-in votes. So they're, they're kind of last, lackluster and laggard. Then you got Latinos, about a quarter of the electorate, but representing about 20% of the early mail-in ballots, which 
strikes me as pretty good because they've made gradual gains over the years of uh, increasing, making that ratio better of how many are actually registered and how many actually cast ballots. And then you've got renters underperforming, and but you've got homeowners overperforming. <laughs> so I'm not yeah. quite sure all these disparities, but it's it's very interesting to actually see the data come out and take a look at it. Yeah, no, that's one of the things about these trackers. And I'll even back up the, you know, prior to 2014, this kind of data and who had voted was something that PDI managed and we had it in people's accounts and they could remove those people from their mailing universes. And every once in a while, we'd have a client call in and say like, hey, can you show me like when the average day is that most of the ballots are turned in or, or, you know, what's the curve look like if you were to plot it out and there would be something where, uh, you know, somebody in the office would make like a little Excel spreadsheet and say like, here's the turn in rate for that election. It was something really rudimentary. And we started doing these trackers and making them public. And at first it was like, here's the rates of the ballots coming in. Here's the partisanship. And then we started diving into, being able to look at not just statewide, but individual districts. And then we it's just been different iterations over and over since 2014 that we've been really doing these and making them public. And now they're just crazy. I mean, we have the tracker now, people subscribing to it to get it emailed to them every morning. And you can get it for like your local community college district race. You don't even need to be a PDI client. We have, I think, 3,400 or something like that, different people requesting these reports to get emailed to them every morning. Um, and it's incredible the way you can dive into and really split up this data. It's fascinating. Is there anything you see, uh, on the national race? Obviously we talk a lot about California, but what kind of signals are you seeing on the national race as far as, uh, ultimately as far as turnout or, uh, what happens in the battleground states? And you got any suggestions, any, any thoughts about that? Yeah. So there's a kind of a Paul Mitchell doppelganger nationally. His name's Michael McDonald. Um, Apparently, to track ballots, you have to have a funny name or a famous name or something. Um, so Michael McDonald, uh, uh, not the musician, but the professor in Florida, tracks these ballots nationally, and he uses PDI data for his California portion. And um, what's funny, he's also an, a redistricting expert, too. So he uh, uh, he's a friend. And um, he, uh, he does this nationally, and it's really kind of amazing in... California, we're seeing, okay, we're a state that was 75% vote by mail in the primary this year, 68% vote by mail in the 2018 general. And so like the changes for us structurally have been marginal and, uh, you know, uh, significant, but still like a percentage change. Other states, it's been like they were 5% vote by mail before and now they're 45% vote by mail. That is like crazy. And the data that they're seeing is similar in the sense that like there's still this huge democratic early wave um, likely for the same reasons that democrats are getting different messages than republicans are but it is generating this you know early wave for democrats that um, is something that hasn't really been seen before at all Um, and so his you can just google um, uh, michael mcdonald or election project um, and get his data. It's kind of amazing. Have, have you seen anything on the props, on the ballot props? we got a flock of really important... So, yeah. So, um, as you probably would have guessed, John, you'll be writing an article about um, the ballot props here soon based on the polling that Capital Weekly has been doing. 
among the people who've already returned ballots. Um, what's a couple things that are interesting. One is we're seeing a higher rate than normal of people who are like, I don't remember, or I skipped it on a lot of the ballot measures. This could be because these early flights of ballots that came in, um, these voters were probably making decisions a lot of these ballot measures before they actually had seen a lot of ads and really knew a lot about them. And so they might have just been making decisions on the fly. Like, you know, this ballot measure, that sounds good. This ballot measure, eh, I don't like that. Or they were skipping them. Um, and so when you vote in that way where it's not like you've been thinking about it all month and you know exactly how you're going to vote and then you end up voting at the end, you might remember how you voted. But if you don't remember if, – if I in a poll – ask you about a ballot measure on consumer protection and you're like, was there a ballot measure on consumer protection? I don't remember that. Then uh, the polling results are a little bit uh, uh, you know, wider variance uh, of the ability to really predict where these voters are when you kind of have them guessing. I've even seen some pollsters will ask people how they voted on a ballot measure and when they say, I don't remember, They'll basically prompt them like, so if a ballot measure did this or this, what would you what do you think you would vote? You know, Um, so that's one thing we're seeing in the polling early. Uh, The second thing is that these things are just so skewed towards the progressive side of things because of the electorate that's turned out so far. So what we're going to do for you, John, is um, we're going to have those polling uh, surveys weighted to the turnout that's happened so far and then also weighted to the expected electorate so you will have like a range of outcomes for those ballot measures showing like how have people who've already voted responded and then what does that say about um, how these ballot measures will likely fare when the full electorate has returned their ballots you haven't run into any um, voter fatigue in some elections we've had so many ballot measures that basically there's a drop-off in participation as you get yeah. towards the end of them. Is, are, you, are you seeing that this time around or no? Well, we won't know, but we did do an article a long time ago um, on looking at ballot measures and showing that the further down you got to the ballot, the greater the drop-off, meaning that um, you know, uh, as you get further down the ballot, there was more likelihood that somebody would just skip a ballot measure. And it was really clear that looking back at like 10 statewide ballots and the total votes cast in each of the uh, each of the ballot measures that being later on the ballot was kind of a ding against you in terms of you'd have a lot less uh, or a lot more undervote. But they do vary that depending on where you're casting your vote. Is that correct? Like the the ballot order is not No, the not same. the props. Oh, really? Not the props though. Yeah, the props are always in order. Um, but the So what's at the bottom fact, in this one? I, I don't remember. The 25 was at the bottom, the referendum. So they put referendums even at the end. So the first ones are the uh, legislature put on like bond ones usually. And then the middle are the citizen referendums. And the last ones are the referendums. Oh, so it just goes in the So the last one was the bail. Yeah, yeah, the props. Yeah. That's how they come up with the numbers. And then uh, and then they stay in order on all the ballots. It's the legislative candidates, the congressional candidates, the presidential candidates, all that stuff that rotates based on the uh, random sample ba- uh, alphabet. They do a they do a random alphabet every election cycle, and those those rotate by assembly district and county boundaries um, for like statewide contests and president. But um, but yeah, so we'll have some stuff on the, those ballot measures uh, 
you know, in a week or so. Is there any um, enthusiasm, real enthusiasm for early voting in local races? I guess if you get an early ballot, you have your federal, congressional, and I guess your local would be all on one ballot. So their early voting numbers, I would think, would be about this would be the same basically as the state and statewide numbers. Is that yeah. So true? yeah, they are. There's so um, in. I think now every circumstance, your local races are on the same ballot as your statewide race. There have been times in the past where like Long Beach used to have an election that was concurrent with the statewide election, but administered by the city of Long Beach rather than being administered by the L.A. County. And so there literally would be separate ballots. So when you were voting, you'd go vote and then you'd get in another line and vote at the other thing for the city election. Um, But in California now, if there are any of those kind of situations or outliers, I'm not aware of them. Um, but yeah, so it'd be the same, but I think that you do see the impact potentially among those early voters. If the local races didn't message to them early, we're like, Oh, people vote at the end. So we're not going to actually send our mailers until like 20 days out. Well, they might've missed a third of the electorate by doing that. Uh, I don't have money to put my ads up. So I'm going to put my ads up in the last week. Well, half of the people will have voted. So what, that, that's um, a good point. So what do you advise the what would you advise the campaigns in that situation? If a quarter of the electorate's already cast ballots, is it better to switch to I don't paper mail at home, slate mailers, uh, mailbox stuff or or focus totally online or focus TV or is there Matt something? Rexroad would tell you to spend all your money on lawn signs. Lawn signs, right? Lawn signs, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matt Rexroad is always talking about lawn and signs. I like lawn signs. Um though Get the plane that drags around the the banner behind it. Um, <laughs> so we've actually seen that. I think uh, it was either it was in Orange County. Maybe it was Matt Harper again. Um, but uh, is Matt, Har- Matt Harper's the, the one that always wears uh, a hat, right? Yeah, and thank God he did. He I saw a mailer from him, and he's he's got that hat on again. It's like of course he does. Um, Matt Harper was the president of the College Republicans when Scott Lay and I were at the college Democrats at orange coast, uh, back in 94. And we had this incident where me and Dustin Corcoran, who's at CMA and Scott lay were out putting up Clinton Gore signs on the telephone poles. And he was coming around behind us and tearing them down. Um, so, uh, but the point was how do campaigns deal with this? Well, for, there's a, been an evolution of this. And it's funny that in California, we fully have adapted to this evolution and other States. They're like, wait, what, how do you do this? So the first part of the evolution was, hey, you have a PDI account. You can get the data from the county registrar. We get it at PDI and put it into your account. And we'll put a flag in that says these people voted. And we actually have the PDI set up now that if you run a mail file, it's going to automatically remove anybody who's voted in your election. It's just automatically set up to do that. Um, That was first iteration of like adapting to vote by mail as it became more prevalent in California. The second adaptation has been that, oh, we know when Tim mailed in his ballot because we have the actual day that he mailed in his ballot in the in the database. And we know the day he mailed in his ballot going back every election back to 2004. Hey, speaking of, why didn't I get my my Capital Weekly poll? I I mailed in my ballot. Why didn't I get my Capital Weekly poll? What was that? Well, do you have an email? I don't know. We have you know, that's a out. question. I, don't, um, I registered to vote so long ago. It was before email. So I don't know that I even gave them an email. So maybe that's the answer. Although I could swear I've gotten a Capital um, Weekly poll in the past. I can look you up. So um, did you, you already voted? I did. I voted. As I said, I, I okay. dutifully mailed in my vote early uh, for the first time. 
And you tracked the ballot? And I tracked you're, my ballot and it said it had been received about a week ago. Okay. You're, you're a uh, virtue signaling uh, classic record collector flea market guy. That I'm is exactly. That's out. my, if okay, you're so, putting me in a voter box. So you're in Sacramento County. <laughs> so I'll go in. I'm in actually like our back end database. So you're in Sacramento County, which is C equals 34. And I'm going to look and see how many Timothy Fosters there are. Okay. In Sacramento. And there is one. Okay. So let's see if you voted. 20 G-R-E-T. That's the little code for having voted. And rat? You have, and my code is rat? You, I kind of like let, that. <laughs> 20 G-R-E-T. That's the 20 G returns code. Oh, got it. Okay. So let's see if you, um, if you have an email address on the voter file. And run that. No. You don't have an email address on the voter file. That's why you don't get the... Well, there we go. See, all these people... And, and You've been registered for a long time, too, probably yeah. before they did online. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for, for our listeners who uh, are getting these Capital Weekly emails, we occasionally get a call. In fact, I got one, I think, two days ago from yeah. a voter very concerned. Like, I got an email from Capital Weekly asking me how I voted. How do you know that I voted? How do you know anything about this? Have I been hacked by the Russians? Have I been hacked by the Iranians? What's going on here? And we tell them yes, of course. Exactly. We've been worse. You've been hacked by Paul Mitchell. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I have to explain to them that this is all that the voter record is. I mean, the voter file is public record, and and we don't know how they voted, but we can show that they have actually returned a ballot. And what, of course, the big concern is when someone says. I have not voted, but I got an email saying, thank you for voting. Would you like to participate in this poll? And as I explained to them, as you explained to us, usually that means that their ballot was mailed to them. It was a bad address. It was flagged and it was mailed back. And it ends up being counted as a, as a ballot, even though it's really just return mail that was never opened. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So we get these codes that say, uh, like that 20GRET, um, that means that the county said their ballot was returned. We uh, generally can differentiate between uh, the ballots that are returned because the person voted. And then there's sometimes a wave at the very beginning, and it depends on how counties receive it and what they do and how they flag things. But some counties just flag a, a return like uh, return to sender as like they give it a return code. Um, other counties will give a return code, but then also flag and say like, well, it was it was actually a return to sender, not an actual vote. So that happens, you know, when you're trying to get polling from hundreds of thousands of people, you'll get some one every once in a while that's somebody who does that. And we have a, in there, we have a thing that if they say, I didn't vote, it brings up like, here's the link to check your ballot with the Secretary of State's office. You know, this is, you know, just something that happens that uh, your ballot was probably returned. You need to go request a new ballot. So, um, uh, but the interesting thing is this idea of an evolution to voting by mail again. Uh, in polling, this has evolved as well. It used to be, and it still is, that we would send pollsters lists of who's already voted so they could go back to their old surveys and they could see, okay, hey, among the people who voted, this is how they break down. And among the people who haven't voted yet, this is the breakdown. And that's a useful tool for pollsters. And we're constantly getting pollsters. They'll send us their IDs of the voters that were in their sample, and we'll send them back the flag to see whether they voted or not. The The evolution of it was that, you know, four years ago or something, we started doing the Capital Weekly survey where we expressly are only emailing people who've already voted to get this kind of like an exit poll of the online world. And when we first started doing it, we got calls from county registrars that were like, hey, what, what are you doing? Like, that's weird. Why are you doing that? 
And now it's just prevalent. Now we have a bunch of the private pollsters who will order samples of just the people who've already voted, and they're getting that kind of survey work done as well for their private clients. So it is it is evolved into being kind of a norm uh, in some of the private polling to really look at who's already voted versus who hasn't voted. And the campaigns are having to adjust, John. You asked, you know, how do campaigns, do they do they change their strategy? Do How do they do things differently? And, you know, in an environment where, like, let's say this weekend that basically half of the voters that have, that will be voting have voted by this weekend. I, I think that's probably true. By Sunday, uh, two days from now, whenever somebody's listening to this, doing their dishes or out for a walk, uh, I think we can pretty confidently say that half of Californians who have, that are going to vote will have voted. And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe their ballot's still in the mail. Maybe we don't have them all flagged, but they're probably voted. If that's the case, then does that campaign still want to do a big NBC ad buy? Or do they want to focus digital where you can actually target individual level messages? Is it more effective for you to put an ad on somebody's like YouTube or Instagram or like when they're going to uh, Hulu um, and put the ad there, or is it more effective to do an ad on radio? You know, on radio that half the people have already voted. You know, on Hulu that you've removed, you know, 30, 40% of the people uh, from the voter file and you are getting basically two to one on your money because you're being able to, for the same money, you could send two ads to somebody versus, uh, you know, doing a, uh, a bigger broadcast kind of thing. Same thing with lawn signs, billboards, planes, dragging banners, all that stuff. You're throwing that stuff up in a shotgun method on top of a state where half the people have voted. It's a lot less effective than a text messaging campaign, a phone bank campaign, stuff that you can use where you can remove the people who voted. And so it makes the... For God's sake, Paul, please don't encourage so any more to... text messaging campaigns. No, everyone I know is like, well, you're what not going to get this? text messages. This is horrible. If you get a text message at this point, you need to respond back and say, hey, clean up your list. I've already voted. And Paul, do you know how much lead time is required for somebody to say buy TV time uh, this late in the campaign? I thought they had to lock it in early to get the best rates. But if a lot of the electorates already cast ballots sure. and they have to switch around on where they're placing their ads and how much time they're buying, uh, do they have to, how, much lead, how much advance notice do they have to give a station? Yeah, so TV is like that. You do have to do more advanced. And I've never been a TV buyer, so I've only been on the sidelines of TV stuff. But with uh, obviously with texting, you can come pull a file. You could call our office and say, hey, I'm about to like do a big texting campaign in L.A. County. Can you let me know when the, when the L.A. County returns for the day have come in so I can pull my texting file right after that? A lot of campaigns do that. Um, but then, and then like digital does have an onboarding process that can be two or three days sometimes. So we'll be doing a bunch today of like getting in a new digital files for campaigns or digital campaigns will do this thing where they'll just pull a list of everybody who's voted and they create like two lists on their digital platform. The first list is their target universe. The second list is everybody who's voted. And they say, send to everybody in this first list that isn't in the second list. It's called a suppression universe or an exclusion universe. And so digital campaigns are more and more running these concurrent campaigns where they just keep building up the exclusion universe as people vote. 
in order to maybe they're running 15 campaigns and all 15 of those campaigns will constantly be programmed to say hit all these armenian democrats in glendale who live in an apartment minus this master list of everybody who's voted Hey, Paul. Oh, go ahead, Tim. So I was going to say, so I should take a moment here and uh, do a little self-promotion. So two days after the election, we're talking about polling. We're talking about the election. Two days after the election, on November 5th, Capitol Weekly and the McGeorge uh, Capitol School are going to be hosting an online conference. And you are going to be on the first panel of the day, which is going to look at the polling. And was the polling right? Was the polling wrong? What do we know and uh, so I invite our listeners, if you're interested in these sorts of things, we're going to be having that. Go to the Capital Weekly website, look at the events tab, and uh, it's free. You can sign on. It's just going to be a Zoom, uh, Zoom webinar, and we'll try to have time for people who are interested to ask questions, things like that. But that will be uh, the morning of Thursday, November 5th. And you will be on there with, uh, I'm trying to remember who else is on that panel. Oh, ben Tolchin. Oh, Ben Tolchin. Uh, uh, Bernie Polster. Mark DiCamillo. Uh, Mark DiCamillo. Yeah, so this is actually super cool. Cause, so It'll be fun, yeah. We provide data to Mark DiCamillo from the field poll and now at Berkeley IGS. He is, um, you know, kind of the... I'm trying to say something that doesn't make him sound just that he's old, but he's... Uh, Elder statesman of California uh, polling, by far. He's the statesman of California pollsters, absolutely. Um and I, I got I totally nerded out when I first joined PDI. When I got to call and talk to Mark DiCamillo, it was like, you know, it was nerd nirvana. You were kissing and, the ring. Uh, we act, yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so we started doing providing them with data for their polling samples, and then we started working with them on testing out like, is it okay to do email polling samples where you email a voter and then link that back to the voter file and use like a survey monkey or Qualtrics or some other program to do the actual survey. And when we first started doing this, he was like, okay, well, I'll just test this stuff out. So we gave them some data for free to like do the testing of can this methodology work. Mark then actually wrote an article for Capital Weekly about the methodology of doing what they call multimodal polling samples. Multimodal used to be cell and phone. Now it's phone and email is kind of the multimodal. It's almost unique just to California, but Mark was really groundbreaking on on that uh, way of doing polling. And it has become extremely common among the state's most prominent big private pollsters that when, when the gubernatorial candidate, a proposition, when the congressional races are being polled, that they're doing a lot of these, uh, they're doing text to web, email to web, cell phone, and phone. So they're really, Mark was at the groundbreaking of that. On the flip side, you've got Ben Tolchin, who I knew him years ago uh, when he was a pollster that I would use when I was doing campaigns. And then he went out and started his own firm and has been wildly successful. Uh, He is known uh, nationally with his work with Bernie Sanders in uh, 2016 and again in 2020. Um, but so you basically have two waves. You've got more of a, a new wave with Tolchin, um, who's just like an amazing kind of, he doesn't, he doesn't bullshit you kind of, uh, pollster. And then Mark DiCamillo, who's just like, uh, he knows he's forgot more things about polling than I'd ever know. So, um, it's, it'll be great to, to be on with them. Hey, Paul, just one last question. Uh, where are you going to be on election night? 
Well, I'm going to be right here in the spare bedroom we have set up with my computers <laughs> and laptops and, and a microphone. And I think uh, I'm going to do KQED and ABC out of San Francisco and whoever, um, whatever media calls, I'm just going to kind of be set up here and schedule it out so that I can kind of bounce around and do different things. And then when I'm not here at my desk, I'll be in the next room over, um, you know, either consoling Jody or, or, you know, relaxing, ex- exhaling, uh, after, uh, kind of the last few election cycles we've gone through. Great. Paul Mitchell, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. It's great as usual. Tim Foster, thank you. Thanks, John. And this is John Howard saying we'll see you next time around. Thanks again.